0: Good morning once again, everyone. Welcome to Ward Church. My name is Mark Ortis. I get the privilege of serving as one of the directors of student ministry here. And real quick, before we got to get going, I got to give a shout out real quick to all my men on the canoe trip out there at the Old Log Resort. What's up guys? How's it going? Hope you're doing well. Sorry, I had to leave there last night to come back and preach. So I want to, hey guys. Okay. And uh, those of you watching at Farmington or uh, wherever you're watching with us this morning, we're so glad uh, that you decided to join us because today we are capping off a series that we've been going through all summer long called Under the Sun. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you haven't been around for a couple of the messages or if you missed a couple, I highly encourage you to to go back and uh, watch through this series. They're all on our website, ward.church, and you can watch this series because it's been really fun for us unpacking this book uh, that Solomon gave us. So um, basically today we have finally figured out what is not Meaningless. Isn't that great? You know, all all series long we've been looking at, okay, so things are meaningless, uh, work is meaningless, everything that Solomon searched to find meaning in had failed him. And so it's been a really uplifting series. So again, go ward.church and you can go and find out everything's meaningless and it'll be great. But not this, right? We finally get to the end of the book and here is Solomon saying, uh, this is not Meaningless. This is where you find true meaning in these two things. The duty of all humanity, he says, is to fear God and keep his commands. It's that simple, right? All these things we've been going through, all these things we've been learning all about, fear God and keep his commands. And there's that whole wisdom thing he talks about so much, right? He says the wise choice, or the wise man does this, or the wise teacher gains wisdom, all this kind of things. So the question comes upon us is, okay, where do we we find this kind of wisdom that we can chase after? And what does fearing God possibly mean? And how do we do that, right? So the Bible gives us a lot of insight into this. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, we hear these words. The fear of the Lord, so remember Solomon said, fear God and keep his commands, right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you see these two are tied together, right? Fear of the Lord. If we want to fear God and keep his commands, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this wisdom that he pointed to so many times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then he finishes and says, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So pretty simple equation. We want to put it up here for you all to see it. If you want to find meaning and purpose in this life, fear God, chase wisdom, and then you will find a purposeful, or you could also say a meaningful life. Fear God and chase wisdom. So there you have it. And then if you can learn these two things, then at the end of the day, you will finally be able to say meaningful, meaningful, everything is meaningful. Isn't that great? Fear God, chase wisdom. But the question is, so how do we do this, right? What does it mean to fear God? And how in the world do we chase wisdom? How do we, how do we find our true purpose and fulfillment in this life? So today we're going to look at another teaching from Solomon or an example from his own life of how he went about pursuing wisdom and how exactly he did that. And again, if you haven't been here for this series, I'll give you a quick recap on King Solomon. He was the son of King David. David was the one who beat Goliath, you know. He was David's son and he was also one of the greatest kings to have ever lived. Recognized not only by biblical scholars, but secular scholars alike, he is known as one of the greatest kings to have ever lived, and he followed God almost every step of the way. And of course, he is the one who teaches us everything is meaningless. All right great king following god and that's where our story picks up we're going to look at 2 chronicles today if you have your bibles with you or if you want to look there on your phones or of course we'll have it up here on the screen as well we're going to start in verse 7 this situation with king solomon it says that night god appeared to solomon and said to him ask for whatever you want me to give you think about that if God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life comes to you and says, anything you want, I'll give it to you. So mine started, my mind started racing a little bit. Uh, first thing that came to mind, uh, lifetime supply of Taco Bell, you know. God's paying, you know, I'll take it, you know. And then the second thing I was like, no, 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 I probably wouldn't want Taco Bell every day. I would though, but I probably wouldn't. So maybe I would ask for like three more wishes, you know. Like, okay, I want three more wishes. Or maybe I'd ask for like a bunch of money or something. I don't know. I'd probably think of a whole lot of things to ask God for. But with Solomon here, he basically had everything you could chase after in this life. He was the ruler of a powerful nation. He had influence over the world around him. He had riches galore. He had everything going for him. So, so if God asks you what you want, and when you already have all the things, what do you ask God for? we see that in verse 10. It says this. Solomon says, give me wisdom. That didn't make my top three for what I'd ask God for, but Solomon, number one, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. It's a strange thing for a king to ask for, right? Right? I mean, you'd think he would have asked for like an even bigger kingdom or dominion over the entire world or three more wishes, right? Like I would have done. That would have been a smart thing to do. But that's not even why this is crazy. That's not why this is crazy. The crazy part is Solomon was already an incredibly wise man. Again, he was one of the most successful kings this world has ever seen. And, and even in 1 Kings chapter 4, when we first meet Solomon, we get it to know him a little bit. And the author says, God had given Solomon wisdom and great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. So wisdom, like he's already got it. That's done, right? I mean, that'd be like me asking God for a magnificent beard and he'd look at me and say, homie, you're already there, you know? You got it. Yeah. But no, Solomon could have asked God for anything and he asked for wisdom and knowledge. Why? So he could lead God's people. See, the calling on Solomon's life was pretty clear from the time he was born. He would one day be the king of Israel. He would succeed his father David. So he knew for a long time what his role was, what his calling was. So he comes to this point in his life where where God says, what can I give you? And he says, just more wisdom so I can pursue this calling you have on my life even better. So I can lead this great people of yours that you have given me to lead, and I can do it better. So in order to do that, Solomon says, give me more wisdom so I can chase even farther after this life you have given to me and honor you with everything I have and I am. So let's check out God's response in verse 11. He says this, God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth or possessions or honor or three more wishes, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, So basically he's saying, because because your number one goal, your number one purpose you set out for is to honor me and follow me. And then he says, he gives the rest of his response. He says this. Next one, right? Yeah, yeah. Next one. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, And honor such as no king who ever was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Isn't it funny that right out of the gate, you know, I started thinking when, if God asked me what would I want, I started thinking of all these different things. More realistically, I started thinking about, you know, maybe I'd ask God for protection over my family. Maybe I'd ask God for protection over so many things. But Solomon... He asked God for wisdom to pursue the calling on his life, his God-given purpose, even better. So what does this have to do with us? You know, Solomon lived a very different life than us. You know, as we've been going through this series, we saw he had around 700 wives and 300 concubines, which... Bro, I would be in prayer every day if that was me. But, you know, and reigned over the most powerful nation, the nation of Israel. So, what is to be learned from him? Well, I think the main thing we can draw from this passage with Solomon is the fact that it's not about what he needed or what he wanted. His motivations were all about what he was chasing after. And what he was chasing after was his God given purpose. So maybe for us, that's a good place for us to start this morning. When we're looking at fearing God and, and keeping his commands and chasing wisdom, maybe a good place for us to start is to think about what calling has God placed on our lives? Because the calling on Solomon's life was his motivation, right? He wanted to honor God and please God and pursue the calling he had. So I wonder if you ask yourself that question, what is God calling me to? And I, I bet for some of you, you may be thinking, I don't really know. You know, I work this job I don't really like so I can provide for my family. You know, I go to school and I kind of hate going to school, but I have to because it's the law. I don't know where to find purpose and meaning in doing these things I don't really like. Or maybe you love your job, but you wonder, is this really furthering God's kingdom in some way? You know, asking yourself this question, what purpose is there on my life? Maybe you didn't know your role from the time you were born like Solomon, but let me give you a little hint. A good place to start. Because this is a calling on all of our lives. That all of us were created with. You know what it is? To live and love like Jesus. That's the mission statement of our church. Leading generations to live and love like Jesus. Because we know that that is one purpose God has placed on our heart. That if we chase after that purpose, then we'll always be at the center of his plan. At the center of his love for us. But again, how do we do this? What do I do if I don't know what his purpose for my life is? Well, let's start here. This is our big idea for today. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Fear God and chase wisdom. Fear God and chase wisdom. The Bible actually tells us on multiple occasions how we can do this. One instance is even in Psalm 111 when David writes this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God you'll be on your path to chasing wisdom, right? All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So fear God. We've been throwing that around a lot today, but what do you think it actually means to fear God? Does it mean we should be like afraid of God? And you know, there are some aspects of God's character where I would say, yeah, probably. But what does it mean when Solomon says fear God, David says fear God, all throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord— Well, the phrase fear of the Lord in the original Hebrew language, because the Old Testament originally was written in Hebrew, the fear of the Lord, that phrase in the original Hebrew translates to yerat yahweh. Pastor Scott, you can let me know if I pronounce those right. He studied a lot more Hebrew than I did, you know. But um, yerat yahweh, that word here, yira, used can be defined in this way. Don't miss this. I'm going to put it up here so you all see it. It means beholding something— So not not being afraid of, you know, not cowering in fear, but beholding something that is beyond one's capabilities and understanding. That's the kind of fear we're talking about this morning. And when you put that phrase with the one right after it, Yerat Yahweh, that means the way to fear God is to behold something that is so far beyond our capabilities or understanding. my mind, you know, thinking about this, it kind of is no surprise then when we feel closest to God, when we're like beholding one of his great creations, right? Like the mountains or the Grand Canyon or the oceans. When we sit back and in those moments, you all know the feeling. You sit there and you think, man, I feel close to God right now. Or when a new baby is born, that ecstasy you feel, right? Beholding something that is beyond our capabilities Or understanding. Knowing that and understanding that, I think fearing God means we should constantly be in awe of His wonder. You know, one of the things I love about Pastor Scott's preaching is when he starts talking about the love of God or the character of God or who God is, he always gets a little bit emotional, right? Like he's, he's kind of overwhelmed with his feelings about being in the presence and sharing about the presence of who God is. And I, I wonder if more of us need to figure out how we do that. How do we get to a place where every day, it's not just a monotony of another day, another day of work, another day of school, whatever, but every day we wake up in awe and wonder of the God who created everything around us, who breathes life into us. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It means beholding something beyond our capabilities, beyond our understanding. And you know, the thing for a lot of us is we fear an awful lot of things already. This isn't like a new concept to us. Some of us fear our jobs, right? Where they're going to go, where we're going to land, or what's next, or what if I lose my job? We have fear about our jobs. Some of us fear our relationships. I really hope I don't screw this up. I really hope this works out. Some of us fear our possessions or losing them. Some of us fear our parenting skills. Are we the right mom and dad for our kids? Some of us fear political influence or losing it. Or some of us even fear losing our own church. There are a whole lot of things that we fear. And it sounds a lot like what Solomon was laying out in Ecclesiastes, right? He said, I tried to put my fear or my beholding in the things that I had or in the work that I did. Or in the people that I had in my life. But all of that stuff, now we know how it ends, right? In the first verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But today we get to see how the story ends. Let's go back to our passage for today that was read earlier. It says, not only was the teacher wise, there's that wisdom word coming up again, right? But he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. Which those proverbs we can actually find in our Bibles too in the book of Proverbs. Which we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. The passage continues, but now all has been heard. So he laid out everything, right? All the things that he could not find meaning in, but now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind I think we can stop for that passage there that's good fear god and keep his commandments so how do we how do we go about finding wisdom from god it starts with fearing god It starts with beholding something that is so far beyond our capability of understanding, so far beyond our capabilities of what we can do or say or think or breathe, and just being in awe of the presence of God. How powerful, how almighty, how sovereign, how loving he is, and just be wowed by it. It's not hard to do when you actually come to encounter the presence of God. So I want to give us, uh, before we close today, just a couple action steps here. Uh, And I think the best way to do this is to follow the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And how we pursue God, pursue wisdom, and how to fear God. So we're just going to look at some of the things that he did. And the first thing that he did was he chased after relationships that build him up, right? Right? The first thing Jesus did, it's interesting, isn't it? Before he went out and started healing people and raising the dead, he found 12 guys to do life with him. And the funny thing about this is, remember, Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. I don't think he needed 12 imperfect, sinful men to come around him and help him in his mission to save the world. But that was the first thing he did. And I almost wonder if he did that as an example to show us how important it was to surround ourselves with people who are going to be lifting us up. You know, here at Ward Church, we're big believers in small groups. You hear us talk about it all the time, how important it is to get involved in a small group. And the reason for that is so that you don't have to do life alone. The reason for joining a small group is so that you can find other people who are on the same path as you, so you can pursue wisdom together. So you can grow together together. And you know, I know for a lot of you, you might be thinking joining a small group sounds terrifying. Going to somebody's house, I don't know. Meeting with a bunch of people, I don't know. But let me tell you, almost every person I've talked to at this church that has, you know, encouraged me or built me up along the way always has a story about their small group. Even at the canoe trip this past weekend, I was talking to uh, Jeff Gibbons, and he was saying how he's been in a small group. He was in one with Scott and Angie, and I'm like, wow, that's intimidating with the lead pastor, man. You better have your stuff together, right? But he's also been in one with all these other really, really influential leaders at our church. And I was like, wow, that must have been incredible. And he talks about how the relationships he built with those people, his kids with their kids are going to last forever. That's what small groups are all about joining into relationship with other people who are pursuing the same thing you are. And we have a really great opportunity for you to join a group this fall. Coming up in just a couple months, we're going to be doing this study on the book of Nehemiah. We'll be preaching from Nehemiah on Sunday mornings. The kids will be learning about Nehemiah. The students will be learning about Nehemiah. And then we're also going to have a small group church-wide study on the book of Nehemiah. And if you've never thought about joining a group before, let me encourage you to think about it now. Because it's going to be an incredibly powerful story of of the sovereignty of God, of the faith of God, and it's also a really great way for you to connect with some other people who are in a similar life place as you. So that's the first thing. Chase after relationships that build you up. Second thing is this. Chase after God. Sounds so obvious, right? Just chase after God. But again, look at the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything he did in this life— He pursued God first. In the book of Luke chapter 3, at his baptism, he pursued God. He prayed. In the morning before heading to Galilee, in Mark chapter 1, He prayed after healing people. In Luke chapter 5, he prayed. In Luke chapter 6, he prayed all night for his choosing of the 12 disciples. In Matthew chapter 11, he prayed while speaking to the Jewish leaders. In John chapter 6, he gave thanks to the Father before feeding the 5,000. You can challenge me on this. Everything Jesus did, he pursued God first. So how much more do we need to do the same? Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. And still, he did nothing under the sun, right, without chasing God first. I wonder how that would change us if we took on that same approach to everything we do in this life. Parents, what if, what if every time before we went to talk to our kids, whether it was disciplining them or celebrating them, what if first we pursued God? What, what, if, what if before we went to work every day, even driving up on the way, right? Because the prayers Jesus had, some of them were really short, really quick. But what if every day before we went into work, we said, we just pursued God. God, help me, help me to love others the way you love me today. What if before every social media post, before you hit send, right, you just say a little prayer. God, is this, is this post going to help draw people to you and your kingdom? How would that change our lives? Going to God before every single thing we do, just like Jesus did. Chase after God. I want to put our big idea back up here. Fear God, chase wisdom. It all comes down to these four words. Fearing God, beholding something that is so far beyond our capability and understanding that literally just blows our mind. And then chasing after wisdom, which fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. These two are linked, right? So what would it look like? What would it look like for us today? I know some of us gathered here are probably Christians. You probably gave your life to Jesus a long time ago. But I wonder how often you just sit and behold the awe and wonder of who God is. I wonder, I wonder if reading your Bibles has just become something as a chore. You do every day part of a rhythm. But how often do you sit and read the Bible And just sit in awe of something totally beyond our comprehension or understanding. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. That God gave us his word, his spoken word to us through his word. How often do you, when you're worshiping, whether here on Sundays or in your car, wherever you worship, how often when you're singing do you think about, think about the words that you're singing and just think, man, God is so awesome. He's so big. He's so powerful. And he calls me son. He calls me his daughter. So I wonder, some of us Christians here today, if we need to take a moment in these next couple minutes and just behold the awe and wonder of who God is. And I know there are probably some people here who've never taken that first step to follow Jesus before. And let me tell you, when you do, when you experience God for the first time, you won't be able to help but fear him. Not be scared, not be afraid, but to behold something so beyond your comprehension and understanding. And it'll change you. So what I'm going to do for us is I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us Christians that... We reconnect with our first love. We, we experience God again for the first time and stand in awe of who he is. And also for those of us who have not yet accepted Christ, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept him for the first time and enter into that awe and wonder with us. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for loving us the way that you do. I want to thank you for giving us not only human examples like Solomon, like David, like Paul, of what it means to pursue a life after you, a meaningful and fulfilling life after you. But God, I thank you so much. You sent your own son here to earth to show us exactly what it means to pursue the calling that you have created us with, which if nothing else we know is to live and love like Jesus. God, help us daily to fear you to be in awe and wonder of who you are and to constantly chase after wisdom so we can live our lives to glorify you and to build your kingdom here. And for those who've never accepted Jesus, God, my prayer for them today is that they would experience your love and your presence, maybe even for the first time today, and that they would be so awestruck with awe and wonder that they would be able to do nothing else but pursue you, to chase after you, And God, if anyone does make that commitment, all it takes is acknowledging that you sent your son here to earth to die for our sins, and then you conquered death and defeated sin by raising again from the dead. Help us to pursue you, God. Help us to fear you and chase after your wisdom. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.